Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening, Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. glad to be here with you. I'm glad that you're here too. What inspired you to write Kind? Well, I think years of being a poet who feels deeply connected to other species and not seeing poems about that, not seeing the animal poems that I was seeing in my mind and that I was feeling in me, and also meeting other artists who also kind of didn't share that way of looking at the world, that way of thinking about other species and thinking, you know what, I think I want to inject some art into the conversation about this. And I know I'm probably sounding cryptic, but uh, I don't mean to. I um, I just look at other beings with a really deep respect and, uh, and kind of an angle that I didn't think was out there. And it really prompted oh. me to start the poems. So this angle, tell me more about the angle. Well, I think that human beings have a hubris when it comes to other species. There's this general understanding, and I would say a false understanding, but an understanding that we are greater than, that we are better than, that we are more worthy, more valuable than other species. And I sort of see us all, you know that triangle that has like humans at the top and then the species kind of go down and way at the bottom of the, right. I sort of see it more like, just imagine a big circle and all of us are in it and there isn't that kind of hierarchy and formation. So I'd like to think of it as more of a humility rather than a hubris. And I think even traditional animal poems have been about serving the human in a sense. And I wanted to write poems that were about just engaging with other people who happen to have feathers and fur, right? All right. Well, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? I think I started writing poems when I was about eight. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think I was eight when I first got something published, and I started to read when I was two. Like words just meant something to me really early on. I could see them as um, as little pieces, little pockets of almost tangible power, like a word had, was infused not just with the meaning that one would find, kind of the denotation, like what you would find in the dictionary, but almost a personality. So, um, yeah, I'm sounding like a a kind of animist here, you know, but I'm an atheist. (laughs) All right, all right. (laughs) But, yeah, so very early on. Very early on. So combining your love of other beings with poetry, tell me about that process. What was that like? Well, it feels it feels empowering. I think to be someone who cares this much about beings who are thrown away, and I feel this way about the power hierarchies between humans, too, and so that makes me a human rights activist, right? But I think to be somebody who cares a lot about what is not valued in a society is incredibly frustrating, and it can feel lonely. And 
I think writing relieves the frustration and the loneliness. So it does feel empowering. Um, and I think I've worked through some anger about it, Okay. to be All honest, right. Right. and um, yeah. as well as the frustration, anger when I see other beings mistreated. Again, when I see humans being mistreated, it's a, it's a, it's also an anger that I feel. And writing about either of those things does seem to feel, um, it seems to assuage that in some way, at least momentarily. Well, do you think someone could be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? I think they could be called it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I like think we that. probably I all like read that. some poems where we're like, you know, I'm not feeling it. I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling the the, the strong emotion. Yeah, to me, poems really combine all of those parts of the body, right? They get us in the intellect, but they get us in the heart and in the gut, too. And that's important to me when I'm reading and when I'm writing. Well, please share a poem. All right. Well, this book originally came out in 2013. And, um, oh, did it? It did with a very tiny press, tiny and mighty press. And it ended up going into several printings, and um, it was really a wonderful experience. But eventually another publisher said, you know, I'd like to, we'd like to snap this up. We'd like to make a new edition of this. And that gave me the opportunity to write new poems. So I wrote many new poems and also engage some visual artists. I have three visual artists who have work in the book and a new cover and um, a forward by the great poet Tim Siebels, who's probably yes. my favorite living poet. Um, yes. And so there are some really kind of hot off the press poems and some, some more classics like the kind that people at readings are like, do that one, you know. Um, but I thought I'd start with a new one because – I don't know if you've heard about this, Dr. Ingram, but there, there's, a, there's this pandemic. Yes. And uh, so I ended up writing <laughs> about that. I've heard so many, not very much. Yeah. <laughs> as so many people have picked up their, picked up their pens or, their, or started tapping the keyboards. Um, so there's two poems in the book about COVID, and here's one of them, COVID-1. Last year, spring and summer decided to go on without us, to roll in the fields while we rolled in poison, the glory, the relaxed breaths of it. Spring and summer pressed against each other, not a reed fit between. They made us wait while the birds built and snakes sunned and crocs snapped at their frogs. The air milded and cleared far from our sick beds because of our sick beds. Oh, human, see, you are important. Biology, hubris, apocalypse, cages, carbon, energy. Just not the way you think. Just not the way you wish. What do I say so that, to that? Yeah, sorry. I said, what do I say to that? That was extremely powerful and extremely thought-provoking. You're right. No. We're not okay. always what we think we are. <laughs> wow, Gretchen, I like that. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes. What did you learn when writing this book? What did you learn? I learned that there are so many ways to talk about the same thing and that all of them are valuable. And I also learned that if you can connect with people in one of it sometimes makes it possible to connect to them in other ways. Um, and I think also it made me feel that art has a role to play in this kind of work, this kind of consciousness-raising work that's trying to engage us in all of these levels and in that kind of thought-provoking way. I really do think that there's a role for that kind of art. Um, it's what I prefer. It's why I go to 
the Split This Rock Poetry Festival every two years and um, consider myself an activist poet. But I think that the book made me really feel that there's a role for this in that conversation, for this kind of art in that conversation. Well, speaking of art, the cover art is amazing, absolutely amazing. How did you come up with the cover art? Well, this is the work of a D.C.-based visual artist named Dana Ellen, E-L-L-Y-N, and she is a powerhouse. She is amazing, and she shares my convictions around other species. So a lot of her art, and you can see in this piece on the front, um, yeah, which if people, you know, Google the my name and and kind they're going to come up with this image is really her her work is about playing with our relationship with other species as well and the way that we divide other species so a dog is for petting and a pig is for eating you know that kind of differentiation um pigeonholing a sort of you know cultural map that we're supposed to follow. She's very interested in that, and I think that she's a brilliant artist, but also a brilliant thinker. So her poems really work um, with the book. All right. Read another poem. I want to hear your voice. Okay. So let's see. Um, Why don't I do... Oh, it's so hard to choose. (laughs) <laughs> well, when your work is great, I'm sure it is. I'm sure uh, it is. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm very interested um, in persona poems. And okay. I think that, so poems that are in the voice of, well, as you know, but um, yes. of someone else. Right, and we and we generally think that it's going to be some other human, and so I'm playing with that in this book, and so I have a a pair of poems that are called Humane One and Humane Two, and the word humane in both cases is in quotation marks, and um, you probably guess that I'm vegan. I don't want to eat anybody, um, yes, or harm anybody, and um, I do meet people who talk about well, you know, but what about humane? meat. And so I thought I would explore that a little bit in this book. And so here's Humane 1 and Humane 2. And these are persona poems. And you can just think about what kind of animal you want this in the voice of, because I, that's not clear, because I want you to be putting in who you think, you know, who you envision. Humane 1. I know a knife when I see one. I want my throat whole. What could I barter for myself? There is grass here. Still, I want my throat. There is the rope, the winch. I want my life like life does. It isn't yours. Humane, too. To kill me quietly. To kill me swiftly. The strongest bolt gun, the sharpest knife, the cleanest floor is violence. And fear will trap in every cell of myself. So that's the what, what surprised you most about kind? I think um boy, what a tough question. I think that I expect some defensiveness, like as we're working through new ideas. I know I am generally defensive when I'm working through a new idea and it's hitting me in places, but I think the way that it has been effective at opening people up has been kind of surprising. I think I've expected more blowback in a way from challenging very, very common ideas and common misconceptions. Now, it might be that the people who want to give me blowback just don't bother, you know, so that it's a self-selected group who who do contact me. Um, Certainly there are people who are going to just ignore 
Um, but that has been pleasing. And I think another surprise kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. I think I've been – I was surprised at how cathartic it could feel to to write these, to meld these two things that had been operating in me separately, the urge to write and the urge to raise consciousness around issues that weren't being treated in the way that I wanted them to. Let's step back for a moment onto another facet of this discussion. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what made them great in your eyes? Well, I think so. The first poet who really moved me was Vincent, Edna St. Vincent Millay, who was just mm-hmm. such a badass and was right. definitely an <laughs> activist. And, uh, just so charismatic, but also so brilliant with words um, and so unafraid. Yes. And then <clears throat> I mentioned Tim Siebels, and he's a real, uh, you know, when I have moments where I say, I'm not sure if I connect to poetry, you know, I don't know if you ever have moments like that. Yes, but a lot of those say, moments. Yeah, yes. right, and I'll just go, I'll read a, a bunch of them, I'll just say, I don't, I don't know if I correct there's three people who sent me right back on track, and I say, okay. And it's Lucille Clifton, Pablo Neruda, and Tim Siebels. Pretty much any time I read something by one of them, I can – now, there's more than that. You know, there's, there's yes. more poets than that that I would say, you know, I love. But I'll just reach over and grab, you know, and I'll say – I'll open a page, and I'm pretty guaranteed to see something that has the kind of authenticity – and wonder and intelligence and power that makes me think, oh, okay, yeah, no, this is this this is close to me, you know. I do belong in this. Hmm. <clears throat> I should have asked this question initially, I believe. What do you view? What is poetry? We talked about it. I've heard 137 other people talk about it. But what is poetry to you? it's greater than the sum of its parts I can feel it shimmer on the page I can actually see it shimmer and it makes me physically move when I'm reading it so I I just want to kind of nod my head but back and forth when I'm reading something really good or when I'm hearing something really good and to me that is poetry so it's words and they are spoken or read and the way that they affect me make me feel that it's poetry you know i teach it right i teach in prison i've been doing that for a long time not right now because covid is keeping me out um yes. but um but you know i get i get the the privilege of teaching and um when you're teaching poetry this is a question that's asked and it's something that i think you just have to come to your own almost ineffable definition of through engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start out talking about that. Well, you know, what is this? And we'll put some ideas out into the room, and then we just engage with it. And a few weeks later, people start to feel like they have a sense of what it is. But in a sense, it's ineffable. Um, so that's why I give gave such a a weird answer. It's almost how it makes me feel rather than something that I can define. Right, I like that very much. Now, Mm. as you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes? We know that the other beings, what else is in your work? Well, yeah, so that, that, that is, well, first of all, even in kind, I would say that it's, a poem about, and I read, you know, sort of more activist-flavored pieces for you there, those second two, yes. but um, that's that's about the dynamic between humans and other animals in our time and place, but also about what it's like to be the kind of person who cares about that. So there's poems that are really engaged with that sort of loneliness that I can feel and that I think others feel, Um and anybody, again, who's engaged with a cause that 
that is not a mainstream one can feel that loneliness. Uh, but I have another book that is called Visiting Days, which is very much about that prison environment and the criminal justice system. And that is full of persona poems. But it imagines a maximum security men's prison like the ones where I teach and where a lot of my friends are now or have been because I've been doing this, you know, a long time. And um, and it's, it's in a sense trying to uh, – render transparent that big wall between us and them, you know, people in the street and people who are incarcerated, people who are behind bars and a lot of the assumptions that we make about them, those of us who have never been to a prison or who have never uh, known anyone who has family, friends in prison or who has been incarcerated. Um, So, you know, as this country becomes more and more incarcerated, there are fewer people, but there are whole sectors of our society who really have no idea what that's about and make a lot of assumptions. So the book is um, trying to combat those kinds of assumptions. So in that sense, it's also an activist book. Um, So that's another theme. And then I have another collection that's one of, you know, a more personal thing. So around sexuality, relationships. Um, and I think it can't help but because it's more of a portrait express some of these things that the person in that portrait expresses, right, through these other books. But um, that one's a bit more quiet and personal. Right. Being an activist, there is so much that is happening in the world today. I think we all can say yes to that. Mm-hmm. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? You have to use your skills, whatever they are, to – you're probably listening to a dog walking through. I don't know how – No, no problem. How, how much – okay, yeah. Um, that's Ramona. Uh, so I think it's that it behooves those of us who care about civil rights and progressive causes in the world and moving the world forward to use whatever tools are in our toolbox to make that happen. So because I'm a wordsmith, I want to use words to help make that happen. So I, I think the role – is significant, but I think it's significant for all of us. It's just that, again, because this is where my skills and interests lie, this is how I choose to try to move things forward. I do other things too. I'm in the street and and uh, and such. But I think whatever we are good at, if we bring those skills to what we care about, that's very powerful. So I want to do that through poetry. Therefore, I would say anybody who is a wordsmith and who has an interest and a skill set around poetry has a huge role to play. We don't know what's going to transform someone. We don't know if somebody is going to suddenly care about the crisis on the border because they see a documentary or because they read a novel or because they read a poem or because – they meet someone who's crossed the border and can talk about it firsthand. Humans are complicated. We, um, you know, are lit up and changed through so many different means. So I want all of those means out there. I want all of those things available to people so that they can find them. Wow. You've got a new fan. Oh, I'm thrilled. You've got a new fan. What do you think is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? It's fairly significant uh, relationship. I'm I'm not interested in donning some other outfit mm-hmm. when I'm writing, but I do think that I care more when I'm composing poems. I'm thinking more about music. I'm thinking more about sound than I do when I'm just speaking. 
but I read a lot. So I think my speaking, and I read a lot and I teach a lot, which means I'm used to speaking yes. a lot. And um, so I think that the two things blur quite a bit. And I, I'm not... Unless I'm writing a persona poem, unless I'm writing a persona poem, I'm not trying to adopt some sort of other figure. I mean, I I think I'm not trying to make an artificial voice, which I think can happen sometimes. It's like I'm putting on now I'm a poet, you know? Which yeah, ugh, yeah no. You know, some poets claim that a poem is a living creature. Once it's out of there, there's not much you can do to correct it or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original. What is your take on it? Well, I think the poem wants to wants to be what it wants to be. I can I can see when it's coming together because of that shimmer that I was talking about. I can I can yes. feel that it's that it's really there. That it's like that it's starting to shimmer. Um, and sometimes that takes some work and sometimes that happens quite quickly. I will say I like having time between writing something and really looking at it. So, well, you know, I'll write something and then I'll play with it a bit, but then I just want to put it in a drawer, metaphorically or really, and, and look at it with fresh eyes. You know, maybe a couple of weeks later, maybe a couple of months later, maybe a couple of years later, and see, uh, you know, how it holds up and how my fresher eyes look at it. Um, and I try. I think one of the most important things to learn is how to not deny what you know about what's wrong with a poem, because okay. It's really easy to kind of put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 over that line that's not quite as good. That's fine, la la la, you know. But right. it, it, but that, it's going to keep you from a from a, a great poem, you know. So those, you know, they come up, and then I gotta then I gotta change it around. I gotta play with yes. it. Well, please share another poem. Please share another poem. Yeah, sure. Um, since I hit you with, you know, something about farmed animals, I thought I'd go to a domestic animals. You know, somebody who we we all relate to. This one is called Chain. It's, um, you know, people have different ways of responding, even to animals that many people consider family members or. Uh, you know, who our, who our culture does value more, you know, we still have a continuum on which that value exists. So this one is called Chain. You are owned and you are chained. The chain stretches from a spike in the yard to your neck. The yard stretches from a bare spot behind the house to a barren spot behind the house. The chain wraps itself around a paw, deft around an ear, a tail, two toes, a leg. The chain spins your body into a cocoon that spins into a ball, monstrous metal yarn long enough to knit the earth a cold straitjacket. In the heart of the ball is you. That reminded me of my dog. His name was Snowball. Mm. And uh, <laughs> this was back in the 70s, remember? Oh, wow. And he was in the backyard on a chain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I never really thought about it from his vantage point, what it was like to feel chained like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that really touched me. Yeah, and we'll never really know. You know, um, not necessarily about Snowball, but about any. Yes. Or even each other. My yes. My impulse is to, 
I guess I would rather be wrong and have given too much respect to other humans and other animals than not enough. Yes. Yes. You know, that feeling of like, oh, you're anthropomorphizing. It's like, what if we did a little more of that? What if our problem was that we overvalued each other instead of undervaluing each other? What kind of world would that be? What do you hope readers get from encountering your work? I really hope that it makes people think differently about other living creatures. I really want that world. I really want a world where we say, you know what? You're not here for me. You're here for your own reasons. You're not here for me. You know, I can't. Yes. I can't rule you. I can't use you. I can't exploit you. You're not mine. Wow. Share another poem, please. Well, Here's one that's a bit more personal. This one is called Eleanor. It's also about a dog, a dog who I lost. But I'll read this because I know that Snowball's no longer with us. I'll read this in honor of Snowball. Snowball. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Eleanor. I loved all of you, even the cancer in your neck and blood, even the sick mirror, your black fleece, white cells, your bright red ones, the lymph and sera in your soft black mouth, all the elbowing cells keeping us up for each other a little longer. I humble before the system that built our illnesses, built your dog bones one by one and tied them together until you could walk toward me. The system that filled them with pox round as zero, pox tough as hide. Let us walk toward each other until our faces touch. Does writing energize or exhaust you? It doesn't exhaust me. There's, I mean, a lot does in in the world, you know. I mean, there's certain things that energize and exhaust me, like being with people I love, for instance. But writing just, when I do it and it feels right, it just, um, I don't even know if I'd say energize. It's like, it feels like a really good massage of my inner, my internal organs. It's like, (laughs) there's a physical thing to it, but I don't know if I'd say it's like, Woohoo! Now I feel you know it's more like ah, <laughs> oh, like a like a like a deep satisfaction. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you think about that, what has been the most difficult part of the artistic process? Well, you know, I, I, I you know what I want to I want to say the bookends. So I want to say trying to start something. From nothing, because I really like these projects that that are themes. I loved writing visiting days. I loved writing kind. They start with kind of throwing, you know, word darts at the wall and you know, composing a little something. You know, I don't start out saying I'm going to write a book about animals or I'm going to write a book about the correctional system. You know, it's it's more like something comes out of me. It finally does. And then it starts to happen. And once it starts to happen, great, I'm good. I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the path. But before then, when I'm feeling dry and I'm feeling empty and I can't quite get it together, that's really hard. And then on the other hand, um, on the other side, once something's been published, if I'm excited about it, I really want it out in the world, um, getting it out in the world, you know. There's, uh, there's not a lot of PR for <laughs> – for poets, you know. No, that's true. So, so that's a that can be a little sad, you know. Um, not not feeling like uh, you can get out into the world as much as you would want to get your ideas into the world, and everybody understands that too. Yes, you know, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work. 
words or sentences that they just can't help but use. What are three mm-hmm. of your absolute favorite words to use? I use the word system a lot. I think about it a lot, the word system. Okay. And I think you've heard it in at least one. I think in Eleanor it was there. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, I like... I like um I'm going to give you kind of like a a kind of word which is a lot of my poems want to have kind of germanic sounds rather than latinate sounds. They want to have these you know dark thick kind of terms like short hard words in them. And you see that in a lot of my I mean I think in the palette that we have of words and sometimes you're reaching for those you know more velvety gentle moving words or you're you're grabbing those taut kind of hard words i i tend to reach for that that part that part of of english um and boy you know you're so right that there's that there's you know words that I'm all, I'm always seeing them in people's work I'm like up oh, yep there it is you know <laughs> and uh and I kind of and I know that I do that too but I'm having trouble finding finding more more uh, individual ones okay not a problem not a problem please <laughs> share another piece of your work share another piece of your work that's why we're here share another piece of your work okay all right so how about let's not forget Cows. I've got a new cow poem. I have several cow poems because I'm I'm sort of fascinated by um by what we by what we do to cows. <laughs> it's just incredible. Okay. Um, and we do a yeah. lot to cows. <laughs> yeah, we really do. Um, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. You know, when when somebody says, "Oh, I'm not going to eat animals anymore," like you know, there's a certain logic around eating someone's body. You know, this, but we tend to forget about. Um, what cows who are used for for their milk, um, just like eggs who are yeah, chickens who are used for their eggs, what what they go through because of course you are only you're only you only have milk in you when you're a mammal when when you're pregnant so they're forcibly impregnated and then their children are taken away so we can have that milk so in this poem uh, this is called Holstein and it is also a persona poem and it's in the voice of um, a cow who is thinking about that, the way that she has been used and impregnated every year and then had her child taken away. So heavy, I know, yeah. Um, So this is called Holstein. I was also a child and also had one and another a year after and another and could not touch even one. Had I been born into a kind world, My life would have been mine, not a stranger's, as long as my body wanted life. Had I lived in a kind world, child, this milk would have been yours. No one would have filled your lungs with loss. Put your head where your kind is born to be, but is never allowed, at my flank. The great spill of me. Smell me from your bent neck, child. Honestly, that reminds me of being a woman, a black woman during slavery times when Mm -hmm. your children are taken away from you after Mm -hmm. birth. Mm -hmm. I, I, again, I'm just floored, floored. Mm. Um, that brought up a lot for me. That really, mm. really did. So I can mm. empathize better with a cow mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. about what happens in that regard. Your work is amazing. Amazing. Oh, my God, thank you so much. Well, you know, we're kept from hearing about this uh, yeah. for the most part. I think we have an idea about the cartoon cow in the field and there are people who benefit a lot from us having that idea just like they benefited from you know the kind of the lies that have been told about 
slavery, about so many things where, you know, they want the general populace ignorant and believing all kinds of lies and stories. Yes. Because it allows the status quo. And the status quo suits a lot of very powerful people and always has. So, you know, that's this is not something that is well known, that this is the reality of their lives. I mean, I spent the first 30 years of my life thinking that they were just in a field waiting for Farmer Brown. And, um, yes, yes. You know, when people started telling me the truth, I didn't want to hear it. It was, it's no. horrifying. Yes, yes. You know, but writers and poets, yes, it is. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write, Gretchen? To stay silent is definitely not an option. And there is a hope in it. There's hopefulness in it. There's believing that you can connect with someone else. Artists are supposed to be taking a step back and cocking our head and saying, really? To everything. You know, we're not just supposed to accept things. We're supposed to be looking at them and saying, what, what's the context for this? What are, what's, what's, what's causing this? What's making us feel this way? What are you doing? What's happening here? What's really happening here? You know, we're supposed to be doing that. And um, I want to do that. I'd like to, re- to spend the remainder of our time, and it's not much, with you sharing works from your books. Please do that for me. All right. Well, I've hit you with some heavy stuff, so here's something that's kind of sweet. It's about a chicken. A chicken. <laughs> yeah. So this one is called Coxcomb. All right. Abraham was a rooster. He'd been made to fight. He was not a fighter. He ended up in a basement with a sign. No one touched the killer. We brought him to the sanctuary. He loved peanut butter and jelly. He loved laps and Linda's pillow. He was not a fighter. He wanted to be held by toddlers, Phi Beta Kappas, grievers and socialists and pop stars. He wanted you to gentle his comb between your forefinger and thumb. It was a smooth, warm piece of a smooth, warm Abe, and it blushed bliss. It was tender, like someone who had been as unloved as a chicken, and then as loved as a chicken could be loved. He grew old and full of love and died, rubbing his head back and forth, back and forth against Linda's arm. We planted coxcomb, a growing glow. I read a review of your work on Amazon, and mm-hmm. the person stated that his two favorite poems were The Dogs and I Walked Our Words. Oh, the, oh, the Dogs and I Walked Our Woods. Yeah, our that's woods, one that's poem. Right. <laughs> right, The Dogs and I Walked Our Woods. Is that two separate poems or just one poem? Just one poem. Just one poem. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear that. Okay, you've got it. It's a heavy one. All right, not a problem. I can I can do you it. Ready? I can do it. Yes. <laughs> yes I'm ready. Ready. <laughs> <laughs> You're with me, I know I can do it. All right. Oh, you can do it. All right. The dogs and I walked our woods and there was a dog, precisely the color of autumn, asleep between two trunks by the trail. But it was a coyote, paws pink, with a clean-through hold in the left and a deep hole in the back of the neck, dragged and placed in the low crotch of a tree. But it was two coyotes, the other's hole in the side of the neck, the other with a dried pool of blood below the nose, a dried pool below the anus, the other dragged and placed in the adjoining low crook, the other's body a precise mirror of the first. The eyes were closed, 
the fur smooth and precisely the colors of autumn. A little warm to my touch, though the bodies were not. The fur was cells, telling themselves to spin, to keep her warm, to stand and hunt and keep. It was a red autumn leaf on the forest floor, but it was a blooded brown leaf. And another, because they dragged the bodies to create a monument to domination, to the enormous human. And if I bore a child who suffered to see this, or if I bore a child who gladdened to see this, or if I bore a child who kept walking, I could not bear it, so I will not bear one. Told you it was heavy. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> you didn't warn me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be a trooper, but you didn't warn me. <laughs> I didn't tell you it was coming. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's life. you're not ready for it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's not going right. to hit you anyway. Wow. Yeah. Read another. Read another. <laughs> we've only got a couple more minutes. Read another. You know, if I, if we've only got a couple minutes, I'm going to I'm going to yes. end strangely enough by reading one from Visiting Days because it fits because one of my friends who I met because um where I was teaching is a man named Intelligent Allah who um was the inspiration for one of the persona poems in visiting days. Now he went vegan very early in his incarceration. He was incarcerated for 19 and a half years. He lives in Atlanta now um, where it's very easy and fun to be a vegan activist. Um, And uh, he, but he went vegan early on as a way of renouncing violence and also as a way of caring for himself. He was raised in a neighborhood where caring about your body through food was not common for the yeah, people around him. Yes. And so I know he that. felt that, you know, yeah, so he wanted to change that for himself. He wanted to value his body. Um so he made his transformation. We were, you know, close friends and I wanted him to I wanted to honor him with a poem. So again, this poem is not him. He's a different person and he can speak for himself. But this is a uh, a poem about someone who is inspired an imaginary person who is inspired by him. So this man's name was Knowledge. And here's here's what he has to say. I honor life by not taking it anymore. Not a fish's life, not a calf's. No one's brother or child. I did violence. I put it between my teeth and it formed my blood and I took blood. Now I eat what they ate in Eden before violence. Now I ask forgiveness for the life I've taken that wasn't mine to take the man and the calves and fishes, the chicks and their mothers. The cops laugh. Their work is domination. They lord over. And some men on the block call themselves kings. But I am done with that. In every soul of me, every body. They say that to see the world with complete honesty... One should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work, Gretchen? What emerges from my work? Well, I don't know if I totally understand the question. Help me out. Yes. All right. How do you see the world? I see the world as 
And how does that come out? How does that emanate from you in terms of what you put out there to the world in terms of your work? Right. Well, I see the world as a place with the, of which I despair. I see sure. it as something that our species has come and claimed and that that claim has led to great destruction and great suffering. And there are a lot of living beings who are human and who are non-human who are caught in that dynamic. They're caught in it. And I want to be part of trying to repair that relationship, of trying to create a different dynamic, one that isn't about that claiming and that destruction. So that's how I see the world, and I want my work to be something that counters that and that shows another way that is healthier for everyone. Based on what I've heard, you'll be able to achieve your goal. I'm absolutely thrilled that I've had an opportunity to speak with you today. Well, I'm even more thrilled. (laughs) I've had emotions that I hadn't had emotions about in in 50 years. Wow. (laughs) Well, that means a lot to me. What's next for you creatively? You know, I wish I knew. I really do wish I knew. It's time. It's time to start something new creatively, and I'm and I just don't know. And um, I hope that changes because it feels funny. <laughs> you know, it feels funny to not have something to work on. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, maybe it's your body saying, "Hey, I'm going to take time for me, just to see." Maybe. Mm-hmm. Just to be, just to sit, just to sit and know, just to be. Well, mm-hmm. I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon. It was a pleasurable experience, one of the highlights of my week, and mm. I wish you nothing but the best. Well, I feel the same. A highlight for me, a joy, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really grateful. Well, thank you so much. Well, to our listening audience, thanks for tuning in again. And as I say every time we end this program, let poetry ring. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.